Hey everyone, I'm Andy Petronic, and this is the Whole Life Challenge Podcast. It's the place we talk to exceptional people about the things that make them tick, exploring their life successes, lessons learned, daily habits and secrets, what helped them to get where they are, and how they stay on top of their game. Hey everyone, it's Andy, and uh, welcome back to another episode of the podcast. Um, I want to get a couple things, uh, a couple housekeeping things out of the way first. Um, as you know, I've got a email address. It's podcast at wholelifechallenge.com. And I'm using that to collect any thoughts or questions or topics that you'd like to have me cover in the podcast. Guest ideas, uh, people that you know that you might want to introduce me to. Um, please feel free to email me at podcast at wholelifechallenge.com. And um, um, I really look forward to addressing your questions on air um, in the podcast. And um, yeah. And um, just to follow up on something, I know a few episodes ago, I said I was going to be starting every podcast by answering your questions. After doing that for a few weeks, I realized that it was hampering my flow of getting the podcast actually done. Um, and without going into a long story, it's quite an involved process to get the podcast out to you from recording and editing and mixing and the, the whole works. And it also made the podcast that much longer. And I'm, I'm really trying to keep these podcasts to under an hour. I don't know if I've ever actually ever succeeded in that, but that is my intention. And um, so what I've decided to do instead is to address those questions that, you, you know, preferably user questions, but anything that I want to have a conversation with you about, um, I've, I'm going to address in like micro podcasts. So like five minutes, I'm going to call them take five and they'll be on a certain topic. Topic could be from a question from one of you guys could be uh, on a topic that I want to talk about. And um, those will be kind of bonus material in the podcast. So each week on our blog, we feature one featured guest. These little micro blog, micro podcasts won't, will not show up there. They won't show up at really anywhere other than in the feed of the podcast. So you've got to either subscribe to the podcast or, um, well, where else could you find it? I think that's pretty much it. You got to go to the podcast page on iTunes. If you don't subscribe to it, you won't, you won't find these little, little, little gems. So, um, another incentive for subscribing. So if you do want to subscribe, subscribe, um, you can go to the, um, go to our, go to the blog page. There's a subscribe link in iTunes, whole life, whole life challenge podcast. I believe it is not whole life podcast. Um, and, uh, yeah. So remember the email, send me emails and, um, I look forward to addressing your questions in those little micro podcasts. So, um, I want to get right in to our guest for this week. His name's Dr. Steve Orma, Orma, Dr. Steve Orma. He's a clinical psychologist and happiness expert, and he specializes in the treatment of insomnia, anxiety, and stress. So if you've ever had a hard time falling asleep or getting back to sleep after waking up, you've had firsthand experience. You know exactly what I'm talking about, um, about especially about the anxiety 
or the worry about the things in the future, how, how those can sabotage your, your efforts. That's why I thought that Dr. Armour would make a great guest for this week's Whole Life podcast on sleep and the establishment of a bedtime ritual. Dr. Orma has extensive clinical experience in helping individuals of all backgrounds, from PTSD war vets to students, moms, young professionals, entrepreneurs, businessmen, and plenty more. He personally suffered from and overcame insomnia, making him firsthand aware of how sleep can negatively impact your energy, health, and well-being. As a result of that experience, he wrote a book on the topic. It's called Stop Worrying and Go to Sleep, How to Put Insomnia to Bed for Good. He's very well known in the news media, national news media, for his mental health expertise, including ABC News, MSNBC, Wall Street Journal, Fast Company, Women's Health, Shape, Men's Journal. Sure, there are plenty of other places you can find him as well. Some of the things we talked about in the podcast, we talked about the psychology behind bedtime rituals like and why they work, why they're so good. We talked about specific and ideas for bedtime rituals to assist you in falling asleep. Um, One of the things we talk about is why you should not keep your to-do list right next to your bed. And that was a surprise for me. I thought that would be a good thing to do. Um, What to do when you're in bed and you can't fall asleep. And what to do when you're in bed and you can't get back to sleep. Why you shouldn't have a television in your bedroom. There are definitely reasons to have one in your bedroom. I don't know if they're good. So uh, you'll get to decide for yourself. Uh, We talk about anxiety and insomnia. How the worry of it all really doesn't help. Uh, We talk about using exposure and flooding, which are two techniques that he discusses in the podcast for addressing the core beliefs that are causing your anxiety. And we talk about how taking action how being in action increases your confidence naturally and lowers your anxiety. So I uh, really enjoyed the conversation with Dr. Orma, and I know you will too. I'm not going to hesitate in getting him in to the podcast any longer. So without further ado, here's Dr. Steve Orma. And Dr. Steve Orma, welcome to the Whole Life Challenge podcast. Thank you. It's great to be here. Um, you know, I I, uh, I want to get right to it because, uh, you know, the, the challenge this week is about setting bedtime intentions. And I was like, okay, who can I have on the podcast that um, that knows something? And, and when I say bedtime intentions, I mean bedtime or bedtime ritual. You know, like what can you do to assist, your, uh, to assist you in falling asleep either quick, more quickly or with more quality or... And, uh, you know, it's not really a, it's not as easy as doing a search for meditate, you know, meditation teachers or for exercise gurus or for, uh, people that are experts in stretching, you know, bedtime, I guess sleep doctors would be one channel, but you're, you're not really a sleep doctor. I mean, I don't even know what a sleep doctor is. I've talked to MDs who are sleep doctors. You're a, you're a, are you a PhD? You're a PhD. Uh, you're a PsyD, which is. It's like so, a, it's a clinical equivalent of a, of a PhD. Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, yeah. but you have a book out that's called, um, how to, what stop worrying and go to, and get to sleep. Stop worrying and go to sleep. 
uh, yeah, how to put insomnia to bed for good is the full. Yeah, I like full, it. Uh, I like it. Yeah. It's got a little colon in the middle, right, to make the title super, <laughs> super long. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> super, super long. <laughs> yeah. Um. So. So. Uh. I mean. I. I. I have a crapload of questions. Uh. But tell me. I guess the first one is how did you um. How did you get down the track of sleep and worry? And I mean, like, was that something you just decided right out of when you first started studying psychology that this is the area you're going to practice? How did you get interested in this? How did you get started going down this this track? Uh, I was interested in anxiety and stress from the start. Um, Why that is, I'm not sure. You know, um, I've had my own challenges with anxiety when I was younger um, yeah, like with the social anxiety, being shy, um, mm-hmm. which, you know, um, over the course of learning all these skills, I, I've, you know, overcome that problem. So I could, I think I could relate to it. I think it's just such a common anxiety is just, it's just the most common sort of, you know, uh, mental health issue that people deal with. So I like that it was a problem that, 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 you know, that, that I could work with a lot of different kinds of people. And then when I, when I started seeing um, people with anxiety and stress problems and, and depression as well. Um, I, I realized that a lot of them, a big percentage of them had problems with sleep hmm. and, and sleep is something that comes up a lot in therapy, working, working with clients, but it's rarely addressed. Like people will come in and say, I'm just not sleeping, but they're mainly coming in for the anxiety or the stress or some other problem. And, uh, and then most psychologists are not trained. I didn't have one class over the course of my, you know, graduate training over like six years in sleep, not hmm. one class. Um, that's like doctors so, who don't have one class in nutrition, you know, it, or they have, exactly. or they have one, you know, like, uh, you know, here's what, here's what a protein yeah. and fat and carbohydrate is, you know, like it's, it's crazy. It's crazy. And it's like so fundamental, right? Eating fundamental life, sleep, fundamental life. Um, so so, you know, I knew some basic, like what they call sleep hygiene, just basic skills, techniques, but it wasn't really helpful. And so then I, I what happened was I got insomnia myself, pretty bad insomnia huh. several years ago. And um, it was so bad that, um, you know, I, 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 I needed to, I didn't know how to overcome it myself. So I had to study it. So I studied. What did, know, um, what did, how did um, insomnia show up for you? Like what was, what did that? Basically I had trouble, um, mainly falling asleep with insomnia. You can have trouble falling asleep, staying asleep or both. Um, I was having, it was just spending hours, you know, not being able to fall asleep, tossing and turning, just, you know, get, and then, um, you know, some nights not sleeping at all and just feeling awful. And that would happen four or five days a week. And that went over, uh, over several months. And And uh, did it just come out of the blue? I mean, like just suddenly you just couldn't fall asleep. It, it, it started literally the, the night before my um, licensing exam to be a psychologist. Huh. Huh. <laughs> um, I, I was so nervous about going in and taking the exam and I wanted to get a good night's sleep. So yeah. I was so worried about getting a good night's sleep that I didn't get a good night's sleep, which is sort of what happens with insomnia. Right. And I slept maybe like three or four hours that night. I felt awful in the morning and I had to go take this four-hour computer test. And I, I passed it. You know, I still was able to function and get through it, but then, um, then it kept, it kept coming up again and, and, you know, that seemed to be where it really started. And then, and then, then once you get into your head with sleep, 
the anxiety, um, and then there's poor sleep patterns that develop from that, mm-hmm. that it just sort of, it get, becomes a habit, gets ingrained, and then it becomes a, a, a bigger issue. Yeah. So, you know, just for my own, for my own, you know, well-being, I, I, I just, you know, studied, read a lot of books and studied the different sleep programs to find like the best, um, the best treatment for it. And I cured myself. I, I spent, hmm. um, it took me eight weeks and in eight weeks I had cured my insomnia and, uh, and I haven't had a problem since. And then wow. that's what spurred me on to, to write the book and to start actually working with my clients on helping them, you know, specifically with their sleep. How important is the pre-bed ritual? How, how, um, yeah. Can you talk about that? Yeah. I mean, I, I think, I mean, sleep is a weird thing because people, you know, people do, can do different things in sleep. Some people, you know, can take a shot of espresso be on their computer for three hours straight and then get, get in bed and go right to sleep. Yeah. Now, those yeah. are the really annoying sort of rare people, but you know, everybody kind of knows, <laughs> you know, like they have a partner like that yep. and you know, so, but for most people that's not the case. So I think a bedtime ritual is really helpful and really important. And the main thing it does is it sets a habit in the way that you start getting ready for bed that, that becomes a cue for your body to start going to sleep. So if you set yeah. like, it doesn't really matter what you do, although there's certain things you don't want to do because they'll wake you up. But things like brushing your teeth, getting into your bedtime clothes, you know, doing some some kind of mellow activity like reading or or meditating or listening to music, not doing anything stressful. Not like headbanging uh, music, though. That's probably not, not headbanging good... music. Not reading like Stephen King novels or something right. like that. That's going to get you something kind of maybe somewhat interesting, but maybe a little bit not textbooks are great if you're a student because those can really put you to sleep. Absolutely. And if you start that <laughs> I've, about, done some, and, I've, so, yeah. I've done some great drooling on, uh, on college textbooks. I remember, <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> not Stephen King though. Stephen King could keep me up till three o'clock in the morning. I re- it's funny that you use that example because I remember in, in high school, um, God, I get in the middle of like Firestarter or, you know, The Stand or one of those books and just, I mean, I'm up till three o'clock in the morning, um, just gripped, you know? So yeah, <laughs> exactly. not so good. So those will like, yeah, are watching, you know, like the walking dead or, or, you know, like yep. a really intense TV show, something like that. Yeah. So you want to do something pretty mellow that helps you relax and it, you know, whatever you have to find what works for you. But what that ritual does is it, once you, if you do the same thing every night about an hour or so before you're going to go to sleep, and you make that a habit, your body will start to learn, like your brain will start to learn, oh, he's getting or she's getting ready for bed because mm-hmm. he's brushing his teeth, he's putting on his clothes. And your body will literally start to go into, you know, start falling asleep, start going into that mode because it, it's, it, it knows that you do these things right before you go to sleep. So it's helpful both to kind of calm you down to get ready for sleep because you need to be relaxed and wound down but it also acts as like a cue to your mind and your body that you're going to be going to sleep soon. Is you mentioned an hour before bed. Um, is it important that it's an hour? Is it three, you know, like I've heard you should, if you, if you're watching a lot of television, you should wear blue blocking sunglasses, you know, three, you know, even right after sundown. Um, some people say, you know, Hey, you can, you can start a ritual 15 minutes before you go to bed and that's helpful. Like what, what do you, what have you found? 
Yeah, I mean, an hour is just kind of an average. It's not like, you know, it, it's like an exact thing. It's the, the reason I say an hour is you need time to wind down. So you don't want to go generally for most people, you don't want to go right from, you know, reading the Stephen King novel or watching an intense TV show or being on your computer or um, having like an, uh, an intense relationship. You don't want to do that right before you go to bed because you're going to be all amped up. Yep. Your emotions are going to be going. You're not going to be relaxed. So an hour of sort of doing something kind of mellow helps you wind down and get into that mode of sleep because you need to, to sleep. You need to be relaxed. You, you need to be let go. You can't be like dealing with stressful concerns. Hmm. So an hour is just sort of a good average to, to, to allow yourself to do that. What are the kinds of things you um, have seen work? Uh, and be effective for bedtime rituals. I've got a lot of thoughts in my head around what I've seen or what I think, but you're, you certainly dealt with this a lot more than I have. Yeah. You know, I think it varies between people, you know? Um, I think that, um, reading is, is definitely a good one. Again, you know, something, you know, I think like something that's somewhat interesting, you know, not totally boring, but not it's not going to pull you in because it's something about reading that's very calming and um you're focusing on something so that can make you tired mm -hmm. um it's a good sort of gentle way to calm down so i think reading is is excellent another thing that's become popular is is um this is you know something you can use generally after you get into bed but it could be a ritual which is listening to like a, a sleep story hmm. and there's different um um, you know, there's a couple different things. So there's a podcast called sleep with me, which uh, is very popular. And it basically is this guy telling really boring stories for adults, <laughs> like with this very monotone and, and, and it, and it really has helped a lot of people fall really? asleep because it, yeah, kind of what it does is it helps them when they get into bed, instead of their mind going to things they're worried about, it just sort of, it's a distraction and it's a boring distraction. Yep. Another one is um, the app Calm. Um, the Calm app has uh, sleep stories as well. Um, I'm kind of I'm I'm on there. I'm one of the, I'm one of the sleep stories, giving like sleep tips. But most of them are stories from uh, writers, and um, you know uh, um, that that again do the same thing. Just sort of um, set your mind on a different track so you don't start worrying about stuff, and because that that's yeah. something that keeps people up. So that's a good ritual is to get into better. Sometimes it's just putting on some like guided meditation yep. or something like that. Those things um, um, people have found helpful. There's things like tea, like there's sleepy time tea, which a lot of people say is really helpful. It's calming. It's soothing. Um, you know, um, so, so think, things like that. What, what, how important is it or effective is it to um, get to get out, get the things that are on your mind to do out of your head and write them down like is that is that something that you've seen work for people like just to have a journal next to their bed and and write down anything that they're thinking about so they don't forget yeah i mean i i generally recommend you don't do that right before bed um because i i would say only i'd say that's a good thing to do earlier in the night before you start your bedtime ritual huh is, you know, you want to process the day. Let's say you want to, um, if there's things weighing on your mind, concerns, things you have to do tomorrow you, that you're worried about forgetting, you know, decisions you have to make. 
you don't want to get into bed with all those things in your mind, but you don't want to generally don't want to do it right before you get into bed. Um, and you, and so it, it could be good again, as a regular, um, thing to do on a, on a, you know, in your evening as part of your wind down before you, your bedtime ritual is to just dump out all the concerns in your mind about all the things that maybe you need, you want to address the next day. Right. Um, it, and, and then, then it's sort of, you can let that stuff go and know that you're going to address it when it can be helpful is actually if you can't fall asleep. So let's say you get into bed and your mind starts going and you're worrying about this or that. And, and, um, which is what happens to a lot of people. And then, you know, 30 minutes, an hour later, you're still lying there thinking about things, then get out of bed. You don't want to stay in bed longer than like 30 minutes awake and go into another room, grab a pad of paper and then, and then do that same exercise. Just dump, dump everything out of your mind that's going through your mind, everything, but then put it aside because, and tell yourself, I'll, I'll deal with this tomorrow. Hmm. And then, and then, and then you wait till you're tired and then you get back into bed. And then, and then it is important the next day to, to actual, actually deal with those things, kind of clear right. out your files. To develop some self-trust, I guess, like, so that you, yes, you, exactly. you know that you believe yourself when you say, I'm going to handle this tomorrow, you actually do. Exactly. Exactly. Cause if you don't, then it's not going to work. You're going to, you're right. going to write it down and you're going to be like, right. okay, I'll deal with that tomorrow. But you, but you know, that's not true. So then you're going to th- continue thinking about it. Right. So, right. um, yeah, so that, that's a good, that's a good technique. If you can't fall asleep, how do you know when that time, when it's the right time to get out of bed? Like when you, when you're not falling asleep and you're tossing and turning and when, when do you pull the switch and say, you know what, this isn't working. I'm getting out of bed. I think a good average is 30 minutes. Because, and you don't want to watch the clock, or I'm not saying that, but you right. can, just to get a feel of it. The reason is if you haven't fallen asleep in 30 minutes, um, you're probably either not tired enough to fall asleep, which is a common problem, um, or you're, you know, you're anxious and you're kind of keyed up and you need to wind down some more. And it's not good to do it in bed. And the reason for that is you're, you, whatever you do in bed gets associated with the bed. So the more that you're mm. awake in bed or anxious in bed or stressed, the more that gets associated with the bed to where the bed can even become a cue for being awake. So you get into bed and, all, and I'm, oh. a lot of people have had the experience. You feel really exhausted and then you get into bed and all of a sudden you feel wide awake right. um, because, because you sort of, you, you know, inadvertently, you didn't know you were doing it, but you, you've sort of trained yourself to associate being awake in bed. A subconscious a cue. Time. Like it's a, a sub- subconscious cue, right? Exactly, and and you don't, and you want to break it, and the way to break it is to get out of bed, like thirty minutes, twenty thirty minutes. If you're not asleep, get out of bed, go to another room, and then do one of those relaxing things, and don't get back into bed. You shouldn't go to bed until you're actually sleepy, like you're like you can feel like you're nodding off. So even if you're even if you know that means you're up for two hours, you're better off staying up and not s- struggling just because you think you should. Um, yes. Get in bed. You should just wait. You should wait because, uh, I mean, sometimes it's hard to tell, you know, you feel like you're tired. Yep. So you get in in bed, but yeah, if not get out, don't get back into bed until you're tired. Even if it gets really late, even if it's like one o'clock in the morning, um, it's hard for people to do that because they get worried. Oh, I'm losing sleep right, and right. I only have X There's amount more, of an- hours. more anxiety, right? There's more, There's more anxiety. <laughs> yeah. yeah. The, pro- the thing is though, is that you're more likely to fall asleep more quickly if you get out of bed. It's counterintuitive, but because it'll tire you out and it breaks that 
it breaks that pattern of anxiety or stress when you're lying in bed. You get out, you change your environment, you yep. do something relaxing, it sort of resets your system. And then when you're tired, you get back into bed and then you'll, you might not get as much sleep in terms of length, but you'll get a better quality sleep if you do that. Right, right. And, and, then, and then usually you'll be more tired the next night and you'll sleep better. What, um, as far as television, like television in your bedroom, um, you know, my wife and I have had this long, we moved into a new house about five years ago and I made a big thing, no television in the bedroom. And, um, it's, it's still a sore spot in our marriage because we don't have the television. I won that one. I, there are a couple things that I, around the house that I, that I have held my ground on and, uh, she still kind of was like, God, I want a television in the bedroom. And what, what, um, can you talk about like the, the pros and cons? Uh, are there any pros? Are they all cons? Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, I think again, again, this is a, it's an individual thing. Some people have no problem watching TV in their bedroom and it actually helps them fall asleep. You know, that's what mm. gets them to fall asleep. Um, I would say that sometimes it, even though it helps them fall asleep, it might make their sleep, um, not as good quality. The reason is it, depending on what they watch might, you know, end up causing dreams, um, particularly if they're watching something kind of more intense, um, or the light from the screen could inhibit the, yep. you know, the quality of the sleep. So I would say that it, it the, the light, the problem is, is both the light from the screen, which activate, which kind of reduces melatonin and, and right. makes it more difficult to sleep, wakes you up. The, horm- uh, also, the, the so, signals, the, the hormonal signals, right, that your body gets from the from the hormones like melatonin don't exactly. occur when there's too much light. Exactly, right. So your body thinks when it's light, particularly sunlight, but it but the brightness of a TV, your brain thinks, oh, it's it's daytime, and so it starts waking you up and reduces the, like melatonin release and things like that. Um, but also just because of what you're watching could, could kind of, you know, get you kind of hyped up. It's hard to watch something exciting and then turn the TV off and try to go right to sleep. Um, so generally it's better not to do that. Or if you have the discipline to turn it off, you know, 30 minutes, an hour before you're going to go to sleep and then read or something. Um, you know, you have to kind of negotiate. Now, obviously the pros there are, you know, it's fun. You know, to yeah. like to lie yeah. in bed and watch TV, it's entertaining. It help, it does help people sort of to wind down. You, you just have to find the whole key with sleep. I mean, there's a lot of great techniques and fundamentals that will definitely help you everybody sleep because we're all human beings. We all have the ability to sleep. It's built in, but you also need to find those kind of specific things that work for you and don't work for you, and experiment until you find sort of the right combination of things that work you well is a television or a computer in bed inadvertently also giving you the subconscious cue that maybe it's not time to go to bed yes right because you know again right because you're you're associating being awake in bed and watching tv or being on your computer and working or surfing the net and your then your brain gets mixed signals is this is this a place for work or for entertainment or is this a place for sleep the more that you know, what you want to do ideally is maximize the time that you're asleep when you're in bed and minimize the time that you're awake. Right. The only exception to this is sex. Right. <laughs> right. Sex is generally allowed. Don't sleep through um, that. 
Yeah, you can't sleep through that, but, uh, but, it's a, but it's a good thing, and it's, you know, it's, it's, it's where most people, you know, do it, and, and it actually helps relax you and things like that, and it, and it generally doesn't get in the way of, of sleep, or it doesn't create a, a negative association. Right. But generally, that's what you, you only want to use your bed and your bedroom for sleep, and you want to take work, entertainment, you know, any, any other activity out, actually outside of the bedroom. And do it and, and do that in another room. That's that's the ideal. Right, right. What um uh so when it comes to anxiety, because this is you know the topic of your book, and I know this is a little bit beyond bedtime rituals. Um, but sure. I think anxiety is something that we all in the modern world, the speed and the pace and the 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 you know keep up with the Joneses mentality, get ahead mentality that we all have. Um, uh, affects us all. How does anxiety play a role in this and how, and what are, you know, the, uh, look, I, I can't look, I'll, I'm, if I keep asking, it'll be a massive question and who knows what you're going to say. So let's just start with a simple, you know, what, what, what role is anxiety have in all this and, and how, yeah, let's, I, I got to stop. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What role does anxiety play in, in sleep? Yeah, like and and how and you know you, you that's how you originally connected these pieces, right? The in your yeah. psychology practice with the sleep part um, because of the anxiety piece. Yeah, I mean, you know, so anxiety is very commonly one of the major components to to problems with sleep, like for like insomnia, which is just sort of like the clinical term for you know chronic difficulty falling, staying asleep and not feeling rested. Anxiety is one major component. And the anxiety there is the anxiety about sleep itself. So it's, hmm. you know, what, what happens is you start worrying about, oh, I'm not going to be able to sleep or what if I don't sleep tonight? Oh my God, I'm going to feel horrible tomorrow. Um, you, you literally start dreading getting into bed before you get into bed because, oh my God, it's going to be another horrible night. And so this, these, these are all worry types of thoughts that create anxiety that feeling of anxiety. Um, um, and, um, and, and, and then that, that then makes you do certain things, you know, to try to help you sleep that, which usually makes sleep worse. So that leads to what's, what are called poor sleep behaviors, um, which I can, I can discuss if you want, but sure, yeah. anxiety is one of those things that, um, ends up, um, leading to poor sleep and maintaining poor sleep. Um, it's not just anxiety. Yeah. It's not just anxiety about sleep, though. It could be anxiety yeah. about your interview tomorrow, or your exam that you have tomorrow, or your. Is it is it all future based? Is anxiety all worry about something that hasn't happened yet in the future? Is that um, yes. fair? A fair statement? Yeah, that I would I would actually define anxiety as like future oriented fear. So, huh. what you're worried about is is hasn't happened yet. It's a what if. So usually yeah. when people get anxiety, the thought is, what if this happens, you know, and it's not, what if everything turns out well, it's what if, you know, everything right, right. goes terrible. And then, and then the feeling that you won't be able to handle that. And that, and that's what creates anxiety is this future oriented worry about could be anything, are, including your sleep. Are we hardwired with that? I mean, is that something that the cavemen, you know, 10,000 years ago had anxiety about? You know, what if a saber-toothed tiger comes tonight and eats my family? Like, <laughs> is that just a, a given in the human condition? You know, I don't think so. That's a, that's a common belief 
about anxiety, even, even a pretty common belief in my field that it's hardwired. But, um, you know, I've been, I've been working with it for, you know, over 10 years. I mean, I've seen hundreds and hundreds of clients with anxiety and anxiety comes from your thoughts, from your thinking. Um, thinking isn't hardwired. Thinking is something we learn. Um, um, usually the thought patterns that we, you know, that we, that we, that we sort of have the beliefs that we hold about a lot of different things are, are, they come from when we're young because that's when we're developing our, our thoughts. Mm -hmm. We're learning. Um, a lot of times if our parents are anxious, we model them and we learn it from our parents. I, I don't think it's a genetic thing, but I think you learn it, you model it. So it's almost like passed um, down. Yeah, it can, but not, like not, not, not on purpose, but not on purpose. And right. it's not, a, it's not guaranteed because you might have, you know, one, one, one child doesn't do that. You know, yeah, yeah. You, you see siblings are very different. Another one does. Um, and then that, and then it just becomes a pattern in a person's thinking or a habit in their thinking of worrying about things. Um, and, and, and then it can become a problem. Now there's also a positive, you know, I, there's also a positive reason we feel we have anxiety. It's not a ne just a negative, bad emotion. The reason we have it is to protect us from real threats, hmm. right? So, you know, if there's an actual threat, like you mentioned saber-toothed tiger, which, you know, luckily we don't have to deal with anymore, you know, but um, there's threats. There's other physical threats. If there's a car racing toward you, you don't want to be like, oh, whatever, right? right? You want right. to, like, jump out of the way, and, and, and that's what's called the fight or flight, which is the, the anxious reaction that, you know, gives you adrenaline and allows you to be able to, you know, avoid the threat or fight the threat off. The problem is, is it's set off by our perception of how we're judging the situation. And what can happen is we set off, it's like a false alarm. You know, right, right. We worry about something that's probably never going to happen. Usually the, the, the things we worry about don't happen. And then that just sets off the anxiety because of that worry of something negative happening. And, right. and so that's, so, so it comes from, from that. And I mean, that, that's a pattern, right? That, that has manifested itself in, um, your life, I would imagine. I mean, it's not something that is, um, it happens kind of universally in your life. When you're, when you have anxiety, it happens in a lot of ways. It's not just work related. It's not just personal related. It's kind of, and it's like a five alarm fire when, that you've just, you've just imagined, right? I mean, it, yeah. right. I mean, it's, uh, it just made it completely made up and you're, I'm having a hard time putting my head around this. Cause I, I'm realizing as we're talking that it's, it almost sounds like crazy, a crazy person, like, like, like <laughs> it's all made up. It's all, uh, you know, I mean, I guess a, a tornado could be heading for your house or if there are thunderstorms in the area and you're going to bed, you could be worried that a tornado and that may be a reasonable assumption, but most, for the most part, it's all made up. It, I mean, it, you know, we're not, we're not given as human beings, we're not given automatic knowledge, right? We, we don't, we don't know everything and we certainly can't, we can't predict the future. I mean, we can make judgments yeah. about what's going to happen. And so we, we have to go by our judgment, by how we're, you know, judging a situation or what's going to happen in the future. And, 
if we make so so it's not crazy it's just that we can be mistaken you know like so a lot of times anxiety or worry is just called mistaken beliefs you know are just you know in incorrect beliefs meaning you're making a judgment about what could happen what might happen and that judgment is is very negative and a lot of times it's wrong or it's exaggerated and um why don't we automatically make those have those opinions about what might go right. Like what, like what's preventing that from occurring? Yeah. Nothing's preventing it. And some people really do think that way, right? Some people, not everybody, I mean, people experience anxiety at at all different types of levels. Um, and some people don't have much of a problem with anxiety because they've learned to be able to judge things more, more factually, more, more rationally, you know, they've learned how to um, assess situations much better to where, you know, it's not just about being optimistic, but they're reading the situation, looking at the facts. And that's one way that anxiety is treated is helping people do that in their own mind. It's, you know, learning a lot of good thinking skills so you can make better judgments. You can make better, you know, how you're thinking about what's going on in your life reflects what's actually going on, which is usually much better and much more positive than, you know, than, than, some people think now people that have really bad anxiety have just it just has become a habit in their thinking hmm. that they expect the worst um right or sometimes it's a way they think it's it's a functional thing they think well if i expect the worst then i'll be prepared yep um and so they think it's helping them in some way um but 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 usually it's it's not it <laughs> right you know it's, right. it's creating a lot it's creating a lot of pain Right. And, and, um, I mean, what it, so how much is, is habit and how much is, um, is something you're creating in the moment? I mean, is, could this just, is this just as, as little as making a small tweak in, um, in a, in, 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 in a, in a, in a trigger that to, set a cascade of events that happen that are not moving in the anxiety direction? I think it depends on the nature of the anxiety. Um, and there's different kinds. So if someone has what's called generalized anxiety, you kind of alluded to this earlier, they worry about a lot of different things. A lot of the time they work, you know, across the board, they're like a worrier. Mm-hmm. With someone like that, you can't just be one small thing. You really, you, you have to actually, um, you know, help them identify um, the underlying worries, the worries that underlie the worries, and mm-hmm. then you have to, you know, teach them how to actually defeat and crush those negative thoughts. Are, th- are those worries that are under the worries all internal, like self judgments? Are they self? Um... A lot of times when you get down, I mean, there's and there's a technique that's it's an uncovering technique where you start with a specific worry. Someone might have a worry about work, but you find that underlying that worry about work, let's say I'll give you an example. They're worried about getting fired. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's a, that's a worry. Um, that's a big threat, right? Yep, that, yep. that would be horrible. But then you, if you uh, dig underneath that, the worry underlying that is, well, then I won't be able to, to support myself and, and pay my bills. I won't be able to support my family. Well, then we're going to starve or then we're going to end up on the street and be homeless. And then that means I'll be a failure. And so you get down. So, so the worry there is I'm a failure, you know, and 
almost always when I do this uncovering, you know, technique, when you get to the worry underlying the worry, um, it, it comes to these, what are called core beliefs, you know, um, you know, I'm incapable is a common one with worry because, because the opposite, because worry really is the opposite of worry is self-confidence. So when you're not self-confidence, you, you, you're doubting yourself, you feel like you're not right. capable and that creates a lot of anxiety. So, um, and then, and then, so you get down to these core beliefs, I'm incapable, I'm a failure and you, and then you address those core beliefs. You address all of the beliefs, but if you can really get to those core beliefs and really crush them, because they're always untrue. <laughs> when, you, when you say crush them, um, I mean, so I'm typically, uh, uh, I, I'm definitely glasses half full person. I'm not a glasses half empty. Um, but I know that I have core internal beliefs that are, there's part of me that believes I'm not worthy. I'm not good enough. I'm not capable. I'm, you know, the, the insecurities, um, I don't get the sense that those will ever disappear. Like the word crush implies in my mind that they're gone, that they're just, okay. Yeah. They, they no longer exist. But I, is, is that what you found is they, they disappear or cause I, I don't have that. Ex I haven't had that experience. Yeah. I mean, I think most people, when you get down deep, have those or, but so there's a couple things here. Um, you also have a lot of positive core beliefs, right? Really functional core beliefs that if all you had were these really negative core beliefs, then you really couldn't function. Yep. You really couldn't do all the things that you do. So you also have a lot of positive beliefs about yourself. We, and we can hold conflicting beliefs. We can hold the belief I'm incapable and I'm, I'm really capable or right, I'm really capable right. at certain things, but not other things. So those, 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 you don't necessarily have to crush them or defeat those negative thoughts. But, um, to answer your other question, those can be crushed. What I mean is they can, you can get to the point where you don't believe those things at all at, at, a, at a, um, intellectual level and an emotional level, hmm. you can literally, where you hear, if you hear that negative thought, it has no, it has no impact on you at all. Now they almost always will come back at some point because that's just the nature of, of thoughts. But if, and when they do come back, you can, once you learn how to crush them or defeat them, you know, disprove them. So they go away. Once you learn how to do it, you find the skill or the tool, it'll always work. And so if it comes back, you're feeling really down on yourself and doubtful one day, you go to that skill that worked before that kind of undermined the negative thought and freed you up from it. And it'll, it'll work and you'll be able to get past it much more quickly. What are the kinds of tools that you, that people use to do that? There's so many great tools in, you know, what's called cognitive therapy or sometimes it's called CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy, which is the kind that I've specialized in i mean there's so many basically the, the all the tools are ch i you know helping people challenge and um, the negative thoughts you have to first identify the thoughts so the skills for pulling those thoughts out of your mind because yeah. you're not always consciously aware of them but they're there so there's skills for pulling out the negative thoughts and then uh, and then a bunch of skills for challenging defeating them and changing them for example a role play like one of my favorites is a role play um, that, you know, you basically take the negative thought and, 
I might throw a negative thought at you. Like, let's say your negative thought you were saying is you're incapable. And I would say to you, Andy, you're incapable. I throw it at you. I'm this negative part of your mind. And then I would have you do your best to disprove it, to argue <laughs> against it huh? out loud. And, and at first it could be hard to do that some, because, because if you believe it to the extent you believe it, you might have a hard time doing it, but then we switch. So then we do reverse role play and I, and then you throw it at me. So you'll say to me and I, and I'm you, I'm Andy. Oh. And you say, Andy, you're incapable. And then I, and then I, then I respond to it. And that can be powerful. knowing, knowing what you know about me or, or whatever. Exactly. Knowing what I know about you and also what I, knowing what I know about human beings in general. Right. Right. You know? Right. So I can draw from all that knowledge and then, then you hear what I say and, and, and that can be powerful because what I say, some of the things that I say could really strike you. You could hear a way of thinking about this that you've never heard before that, that, that actually starts to undermine and weaken that negative thought. And right. we go back and forth until basically you, you knock that thought down. Now, this is, this is one of the more powerful skills, but it doesn't work for everybody. Yeah. So if that skill doesn't work, we move to another skill. You know, mm. there's dozens of them until you find the one skill that, that really works. What, what, now, was this something that you dealt with the, um, when you were dealing with your insomnia and your anxiety? Was this one of the things that you did to help you? Like what were, what were the things that, that were important for your shift? Yeah. So for me, I mean, my, my particular, uh, and, are, and are you okay talking about it? Like I, oh, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's yeah, very personal. It's uh, you know, I, I stop me if I'm asking you a question that you don't want to talk about. Yeah, no, no, I'm, I'm totally comfortable and I'll, and I'll share this with clients, you know, if I, if I've experienced something that they have, because that helps them realize they're not the only one that experiences it. And, yep. um, so, you know, for me, my, 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 mine was more like social anxiety, mm-hmm. um, particularly speaking in front of like a group or something like that. That's, that's very yeah. uncommon. Nobody has that anxiety. No, nobody Every, has everybody's that. <laughs> totally good with speaking in front of large groups. <laughs> right, right. You know, so, I can't relate to that at all. <laughs> Right. It's a very common, it's, it's one of the most common, right. you know, social anxiety or, or just shyness, which is sort of a more milder form, let's say. So, um, now the main, the, the main treatment or the main way to overcome anxiety is actually what's called exposure, which is facing the thing you're afraid of. So the, the, the way to get over social anxiety now, now I might work with somebody to help them defeat the negative thoughts. And there's a lot of negative thoughts with social anxiety. Usually worries about how other people are judging them. You know, I'm stupid. I'm, I'm not smart, things like that. But really the most powerful and quickest way is to get them to go out and to, and to, you know, interact with people, to talk to people, Hmm. um, to actually even, um, uh, what are called, um, shame attacking exercises. Um, and, and this is from, uh, uh, David Burns, um, these, some of these techniques who's, who's, like one of the leaders in the, in the, in the cognitive therapy field, but shame attacking exercise would be like, you might, and you might go out with a client. I've actually never done this myself, but you take a client and you go to a public place, let's say like Starbucks and you'd have them stand in the middle of Starbucks and like quack, like a duck or something, <laughs> you know, do what? something, do something. Really? So yeah, some, yeah, because they're afraid, right. They're afraid of doing something dumb. In I'm afraid of them. doing That's that. I mean, I, I just okay. started sweating. Like when you started saying that, like, do right. I need to go try this now? <laughs> well, see, right? 
So just talking about it for you, which is actually another form of exposure, is just um, you know thinking about or picturing yourself in Starbucks going to do this. That that could actually make you anxious, yeah, right? So that totally, might yeah. be that might be, uh, and and you could do this in different ways. You can do what's called gradual exposure, where you do it to slowly building up, or you can do what's called flooding, where you take the person and they they, they face their biggest fear. Maybe it's you know the thing I said in Starbucks. Yep. And, um, and that's how uh, anxiety is treated. So for me, now I didn't, I didn't do that. I didn't go to Starbucks, but what I started doing was, cause I still had it when I went, when I was in grad school is I just started making myself speak up in class, you know, and speaking in front of, 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 you know, when I was in front of a group and expressing my opinions and even when I had contrary opinions. Hmm. Um, which I had a lot at the time actually in grad school. And so even though I was nervous, you know, my voice would be shaking or my hands would be shaking, I would just keep doing it. And eventually I got over the fear. How did you know, how did, did you know to do that? Or did somebody give you coaching? Were you seeing a therapist? Did you, was that a strategy or you just had some internal sense that I I should do this? I think at the time I had some just sort of, uh, um, I think I just intuitively felt like, I have to, you know, I have to overcome my fear. I have to face my fear. And, um, I think intuitively I did it. And then as I, I got into anxiety pretty quick when I was in grad school. And then, so once I started learning more and more then I, you know, I used all the skills that I learned. Yep. Um, and, and, uh, because they're, they, they work so well and then event and, and, and got myself over it. So, yep. yeah. So it was both sort of like just intuitive and then just, and then learning the skills. You know, it's funny you say that. I, I can think back to, because um, I've had some pretty s- severe social anxiety around um, speaking, public speaking. I had a couple of really bad experiences when I was in the Marines um, and just kind of falling on my face, you know, embarrassed with my inability to formulate words, you know, cohesive words or sentences even in front of, you know, peers and friends and uh and in in years later in in getting through that i can think of a lot of the times that i would attend seminars or i would I would attend you know i'd be in a, sitting in a group of you know 2 or 300 people just the physical act of raising your hand to speak there the, I rem- I, can, I can remember times when i never i didn't overcome the fear and i couldn't it was when I couldn't will myself to get my hand to go up. Uh, and just, and I didn't even, when, when I was able to do that and was able to overcome that anxiety and fear about what if they call on me or what if I don't have something to say and just the act of getting my hand to go up in the air w- broke, would break something, would break through just, just that. They wouldn't have to call on me and, and that would be helpful. Um, so it's, 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 it's interesting. Yeah, just the, I mean, just the raising of your hand, even though it's not about being successful or doing it perfectly or not being nervous. In fact, the more, when you're doing exposure, the the more anxious you get, the better. Because what you're really Hmm. exposing yourself to is the anxiety itself. Right. And the more you're able to tolerate and realize I can, anxiety isn't going to hurt me. It's uncomfortable. Yep. or that you expose yourself to the feeling and to the situation, you'll get desensitized to it 
And next time, so maybe the first time you, you, you raise your hand halfway and you get super nervous and you pull it back down. But that gives you a little bit more courage that the next time the hand goes all the way up. And then every time you do it, it gets a little easier and a little easier yeah. until eventually the, the fear is gone. Yeah, it's almost like a... Um... It's not like dominoes, but it's like it, it, it's like um, you just develop a confidence. You just develop a thing like, oh, I can do this. I can. All I got to do is raise my hand, and then and it just becomes. Then if they call on you, you're not that worried. Um, yeah, I, <laughs> I never really, I never really thought of that, but I, I think that's helped me a lot. You know, being in those situations and being willing to to just put my hand in the air, even actually even where I sit in the room sometimes helps, you know, rather than sitting in the back of the room, moving to the front of the room. So yes. I'm, I'm more exposed. I'm more, you know, visible. I'm not hiding in the back. Um, you know, is also something I've noticed. Yeah. So without even maybe consciously realizing it, you were, you know, putting yourself through the exposure huh. and, and it experienced, and this is where you see, like, you didn't probably sit down and work a lot with your thoughts and pump and tell yourself, I can do this. I can do this. Maybe you did right. a little of that, but it was, through the experience itself and facing the fear that you had that shift in your thinking because you, right. you realized, Hey, I, I'm, I can do this. I can handle this. I can speak or, and then that changes the whole view of what you're capable of, which builds your confidence, which then lowers the anxiety. Well, there are two ways in which that I know about and that, that people talk about making real true changes in your psyche and yourself. Uh, one is by changing an action and your thoughts follow, your thoughts and emotions follow. And the other is by changing your thoughts and emotions and then your actions follow. Are, are one of those, do you find one of those more effective than the other? I mean, this technique seems, seems like it's a, the action and then the thoughts and emotions follow. Um, I think with anxiety, the actions, the action is, is more powerful um, and effective because you can, you can try to talk yourself out of a fear, but until you actually face it, you'll never know, right? You'll still think, well, maybe, maybe it won't go so well, or maybe right. I won't be able to speak. And because really the opposite of anxiety is self-confidence hmm. and self-confidence doesn't come from just thinking about something. You don't wait until you're confident. Confidence comes from action. And, and, and sort of going, going, getting through that really awkward stage of whatever it is you're doing, public speaking or speaking in front of a group, is you have to work through that awkward stage and face the fear or get up there and actually do it. The way you get better at anything is by doing it. And the more you do it, the better you get, the more confident and the lower the anxiety will be because the lower you're, you'll have less self-doubt and you'll have more confidence. And, and the, the thinking shifts. So the thinking shifts to, I can handle this. This is no problem. I'm really good at this. I'm capable. I can figure it out as opposed to, I can't do it. I don't know enough. I'm dumb. I'm going to fail. I'm mm -hmm. whatever. So, so I think the action is much more powerful. I think you could definitely get benefit from the thoughts, but I think the action is much more powerful with, with anxiety. So it's almost like short circuiting uh, through, through taking action. It's one of the things that we, you know, in the, in the challenge in the whole life challenge, when we first designed the challenge, um, my business partner, Michael, um, sat down and invented, created something called food university. And it was a theoretical, not theoretical. It was a knowledge based program. You know, it was like eight to 12 weeks long. I, th I can't remember exactly how long it was and, uh, classes and, 
you know, people would come and they'd learn and all the things that we do in the challenge, it was, a, it, they, they were incorporated into this eight to 12 week course. And what we, what we found was, um, the, well, the thing that didn't for us didn't work about it, um, is it didn't require action. There was no, there was no reward for, for taking action in your life and, and, and putting these things to use. It's kind of like making a, it's kind of like when people make a list of resolutions at the beginning of the year and that, but they don't get granular enough to know what, okay, what's the action? What, you know, like, okay, I'm going to lose just to name a common one. I'm going to lose 20 pounds. Well, okay. What's the action I'm going to take today in route toward that resolution? Cause the, 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 the action is the magic. The actions all is the magic that it's like the magic fairy dust. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, ultimately we're, we're physical beings, right? We live in a physical material world and you don't get anything without, you can't just sit, sit on the sofa at home and think and get anything. Now right. thinking is incredibly important and I, and, and I think it's very undervalued, um, both in my field actually and in, and in the culture in general. Thinking um, is undervalued. I think thinking, you know, um, really being thoughtful and, and thinking about things before you take action. I think uh, people sometimes act more on emotions, just what uh -huh. they feel rather than thinking through things. Um, and, and so it, thinking is really important if you're going after goals, right? Let's say you want to lose weight. I think, um, you, I think the action is important, but you also need to have the thinking part because if you don't think about why you're doing it, you know, what's motivating you, what's a good exercise plan, right? How are right. you going to make it work? Then I think, I can think a lot of times that, that sets people up for failure. The thinking is primary. That's you have to first think about, you know, what is it that I want? What is my goal? Whatever it is, whether it's getting into shape or sleeping better or whatever, and then having a good plan in place. And then you need to act on that. And then you act on it. And you, and then after you act on it, you, you, you kind of monitor how things going, you step back, you reflect, how are things going? Am I moving toward my goal? Am I, what challenges am I having? Do I need to, you know, make some, some tweaks and then you make those tweaks and then you continue taking action. So it's, 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 it's kind of the, they go together, the thinking and the action, but you, so it can't be one or the other. You need both. Right. 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 And, and, and taking the time to actually um, build your, you know, what works and what doesn't work and taking the time to actually sit and Cause I think it's funny, you know, um, in the world of, 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 of health, health and fitness, the speed at which people give up or that they think they need to be told, you know, how do I do this? What, and they, they haven't spent even 30 seconds thinking, okay, well, if I didn't have any help, how would I make dinner? How would I get dinner? What would I, what would I eat? You know, I need a meal plan. I need to tell me what to eat and I need a meal plan, you know? And, uh, I, I think it's look, I, and I'm speaking from experience. I do this. I find myself doing this, you know, like, Oh, I, my wife tells me, Hey honey, I'm not going to be home for dinner tonight. I'm like, I, I go into like a panic, like, Oh crap. What, what, what are we going to eat? How am I going to do this? Oh, we got to go out. You know, we'll go, we'll go grab something at, you know, I don't know, hopefully healthy. Um, and that thinking piece, I think you're right, is a very, 
we're, we're, we're incredibly capable of knowing what to do. I think taking the time to think about it and then formulate an action plan is important. Exactly. And I, I think people underestimate what they're capable of and, you know, um, how powerful their mind is, you know, yeah. um, that you don't have to be a genius and most people aren't, um, to, you know, to be able to come up with some great ideas to have a really powerful mind and then, um, and then trust yourself enough to act on it. I think it's, it's, it's people have a lot of, they underestimate what they're capable of both in terms of their mind, you know, what they can think of or create or problems they could solve. Um, but then also in terms of their, their capability and in, in following through on that. Right. Right. What are the things that you do personally to keep yourself, I don't know, operating at peak at your, at your peak, at your best, you know, like physically, mentally, emotionally, what is your ritual like? What is your day like? Yeah. I mean, I have a pretty, um, sort of set things that I've developed, you know, kind of in, into habits that work for me. So I have a particular way, um, you know, I've actually just started uh, meditating in the morning. Hmm. Um, I tried it like 20 years ago and it just, it just didn't stick. You know? mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I had a hard time just sitting still, but, um, I, you know, I retook it up, uh, uh, like about six weeks ago and do that every morning. And then I, write are you doing journal. something so spe- spe- blah, 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 some specific technique? Are you using an app or are you like, how are you doing it? Yeah, I'm using this. Um, uh, it's called the release meditation technique. Um, hmm. that I think is from a guy named Brendan Bouchard. Oh yeah. It's, I know it, who that is. I think he kind of based it on uh, transcendental meditation, but you know, um, you know, if you don't want to go through that whole training and it's, and it's pretty expensive, Yep. Um, but it uses a, like a mantra and you, and you, you know, just repeat that in your, in your head. And, and that's been a really nice way to just start the day. And then I kind of do some journaling and how long do you meditate um, for? I do it for 20 minutes. Oh, that's a long time. Yeah. Yeah. It, you know, sometimes it feels like a really long time <laughs> it's difficult <laughs> right. to get through it. Right. And then sometimes it goes by really quick. So it just depends on, on the morning, but do you it do always, it like first thing when you roll out of bed at four, you know, do you get up super early to do it? So it's before your day gets rolling. Like when, when does that? Yeah. I'm in? up at, um, 6am every day, except, you know, the weekend I'll usually sleep a little later than that, but it's 6am and yeah, I get, I pretty much get right up. Um, I go into the, another room. My, my, my wife stays in, in, uh, in, in the bedroom. She, she gets up too, but she doesn't work in there. Mm-hmm. And then I, I meditate right first thing basically mm-hmm. sit down meditate for the 20 minutes and then i do some journaling and then um like read through my goals i have like goals that mm-hmm. i have set for different areas of my life i read through those and then um you know i usually you know do email and 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 things like that um have breakfast and then um I exercise, I just switched. I was doing it five, six days a week, but now I'm doing it four days, basically every other day, mainly to open up some more time mm-hmm. in my schedule, but, um, exercise regularly. What's and your, partic- what's your routine? Do you have a home gym or, or, um, you do it just body weight, run around. What do you do? 
Yeah, I just do body. I, you know, I switched up. I used to be, you know, very, um, you know, uh, I was very athletic all my life and did a lot of very intense cardiovascular things like triathlons and, mm-hmm. um, you know, and things like that. But um, found that it was really hurting my knees, right, <laughs> the right. running and, and the impact. So like uh, three or four years ago, um, I found this, uh, it kind of coincided with kind of changing the way I eat. Um, kind of switched to eating in a more, I guess it'd be more of a paleo thing. I actually, it's a, the slow carb diet. Oh yeah. That Tim Ferriss. Yep. Uh, but kind of, I don't do the cheat, the cheat days and the way that he, um, recommends. Go crazy. Like, do whatever you yeah, want. I yeah. Yeah. I did it. <laughs> I did it at the beginning and it was a lot of fun, but, yeah. uh, but it was like, not, it wasn't feeling so good from right. doing that. Right. So I kind of pulled that back, but, but basically, um, uh, I had started out with uh, there, there's a book called the uh, the Primal Blueprint. Like yeah, Mark Sisson. Mark Sisson. Yeah. yeah, he's been a guest yeah. on the podcast a couple times. Oh, really? Great. Yeah. I, I didn't know that. Yeah, and he's he's great. I really like that book. That really changed the whole way I thought about eating. And then he has these kind of core exercises. It's all done with body weight. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like push ups. Um, you know, um, doing uh, um, um, what is it? You know, where you just uh, plank. Yep. A plank position. So it's like squats, things like that. I do like four or five core exercises just using body weight. And then I have a, a um, like a stretch cord, a resistance cord. I do exercises with that. And then I do um, different sort of exercises um, for my back. So I have, it's like lower back pain. Mm-hmm. And this is something I did physical therapy a couple of years ago and learned these really great exercises for that. So I do that. Um and that's it. I don't really do. I, and then I walk almost every day with my wife. Um, mm-hmm. We walk for, you know, an hour, hour and a half. Wow, that's great. Um, and, you know, so it's a great way to get exercise. And at the same time, it's a great way for us to connect and talk yeah. and um, spend time together. And um, so pretty much do all that pretty, pretty uh, regularly. And then make sure I have downtime. Mm-hmm. And also I'll work in the evening a little bit. Um, but then I'll give myself always two or three hours in the evening to just relax. Usually that might be watching, you know, like a, um, a TV show, mm-hmm. you know, uh, with my wife, um, you know, something or listening to a podcast, something like that. Um, because I think downtime and leisure time is just absolutely vital for like a happy and healthy life. Like work is extremely important and, um, but also having time to relax, to do things you enjoy, um, to, you know, spend time with people you love is so, is so incredibly important for both your mental and your physical health and, and, and to just be able to, to enjoy life. So I always make sure that even if I'm, you know, I'm, I'm really focused on my work that I have a couple hours every evening to to relax and then saturdays for really the last few years has been a day that like both my wife and i we completely take off like i don't do any work on saturdays and we just together and you know go out for breakfast and go for a nice walk and 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 it's just a day of just you know pure chilling oh that's great that sounds great super relaxing do are there things you like to do together that are like fun activities that you that you guys really enjoy I mean, you know, we're on generally we're, we're pretty boring, but, uh, <laughs> you know, we, 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 we love, uh, we love going to breakfast. Uh-huh. Uh, so we, we go to breakfast. Uh, we have, we can have a favorite 
uh, we're, I'm in, I'm in, uh, we're in Scottsdale, Arizona right now, uh-huh. um, for the next, uh, several weeks. So there, there's a breakfast place here we love. So we'll go there. Then we'll usually go for a, a walk after hour, hour and a half walk. Do you, we'll, do you hike on some of the trails? Like do you camelback or, or, or some of the, 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 I love my, my, my sister and mom both live in, in, uh, Phoenix. So I love some of those hikes. Yeah, no, that's a great, I mean, uh, it's funny cause like we used to hike Camelback like all the time. We've been, we've been coming to Scottsdale for like you know, 15 years. Um, so we've been here now for about six weeks and we have yet to do a hike, but we've been going to like the foot of Camelback. There's this, this beautiful neighborhood, um, you know, with these just amazing houses mm-hmm. and, and, and views of Camelback and kind of just walking around that area. We've done that several times. Oh, nice. Uh, yeah. So just, you know, seeing like the, the desert, you know, the cactus and yep. such a chill environment. So mainly doing that. And then, you know, it, just hanging out. I mean, one, one thing that we, that we love to do is, is travel. And, um, you know, that's what we're doing now. Actually, I'm based in the, in the Bay area, in the San Francisco Bay area, but we actually six weeks ago, put our stuff in, in storage, gave up our, the place we were renting and, you know, and basically hit the road. Wow. And, um, we're going to be in Scottsdale for about six weeks. And then we're right now planning to go to, um, France. Wow. And, uh, wow. About five weeks. Does your wife do something that makes it, makes her capable of, of working, uh, from different locations? Yeah. Yeah. She, she, um, she's, she does PR. Uh-huh. She has her own, her own company, her own business is PR for design firms. And can, so she can do that all remotely. And then oh, she's great. also uh, an illustrator, uh, an awesome illustrator and cartoonist. Wow. Um, and has, you know, and, and, you know, sells her stuff online. So she's completely remote and me, I've been building that up for myself. So I see a lot of, of clients, uh, really all of my clients now I see through, um, you know, through video or, or by phone. So, oh, wow. That's interesting. So like your, your practice is all like, is it Skype or do you have certain special things you use for, um, clients? Yeah, sessions? mainly I use Skype, FaceTime, uh-huh. um, or, or phone. And there's other platforms, you know, that, I, that I've used, but, but those are the main, the main ones. Right. Right. Wow. That sounds amazing, man. I, I, uh, I admire your, um, your freedom and your, um, your commitment to, you know, taking that time and, and knowing what you're, you know, kind of what you like and connecting with your wife and doing those things together. It's such a big, important piece of the human, the human part of, of, uh, of, uh, of our human being, of our human experience, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, you know, and, 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 you know, I think this is like, I was talking about the thinking part earlier, you know, it's something that like we really, you know, have thought a lot about, you know, what we value, what's important to us, what, you know, will bring us or what we think will bring us, you know, happiness. And over the year, we've been together now for, you know, for many years, we've sort of tried to create a a lifestyle where we can honor those, those values and the things that are most important to us, you know, so it's taken a lot of thought and figuring out and trial and error. And then it takes work. Like then, then we put it into action, like you were saying, um, and it takes a lot of hard work to make those things happen. But then when they do happen or you start seeing yourself moving toward a goal, like, you know, with, with your, um, a whole life challenge, when people start seeing their health and getting better and they're developing these, these habits that they can have the rest of their life, 
it it it's really fulfilling and then it it, it motivates you to do it even more it right. kind of motivates you in that direction even more right well steve how um how can people find you if they heard something on the podcast they want to connect with you or like social media or website what's the best way yeah, the, the, my website's probably the best place, which is uh, it's um, drorma.com, so D-R-O-R-M-A.com. A lot of information about what I do. I have a blog on there with a lot of articles, and, um, and, and then there's a contact form on there if people want to um, you know, contact me for, for, for any reason. Okay. That, that, that's the best way. Okay. Are you, uh, are, do you have a social media presence at all or are you mostly not just through your blog and stuff? Yeah. I, you know, like sort of like, like, uh, I'm on Twitter, um, Facebook, I'm still sort of I'm pretty <laughs> slow to, to, uh, to get that going. I'm, I'm on Facebook, but it's more personal. Yeah, um, yeah. Twitter I'm, I'm on there and uh, you know, I'll post if I post a new blog post or, or, or something I interview for a magazine or something, I'll put it on there. Right. Um, so I am on there some, but, but, I, I definitely, you know, want to pick that up a little more. I, I appreciate your, your, um, your, I don't know, lack of social media presence. I, I, there, there's part of me that really would prefer life without social media. And yet my business really functions because of social media. So there's a necessity to be on it. And yet, um, boy, I want to pull away from it, you know? <laughs> Well, I, I keep telling myself, you know, I got it, you know, I got to do more and, you know, for social media. I mean, I think it's, it's, an, they're amazing platforms. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, um, um, but like I always end up not putting in maybe the time that I should on that, but I, I eventually maybe I, I'll put more into building that up. Well, cool. I, I really appreciate you taking the time to be with us today, be with me today and, um, sharing your, your inner workings of your life. Uh, your thoughts around anxiety and stress and, and, um, and sleep and bedtime rituals. And, um, just was really, uh, fun for me. It was a really fun conversation and I learned a lot. I mean, I, I mean, I, I think I, I, it starts to solidify a lot of things that I, that I think, and I really love having these deep conversations in, in podcasts with people who really, who really know what they're doing like you. Uh, no i appreciate i appreciate you inviting me on on the show it was really it was really fun uh to be able to just talk about so many different things and and uh you know have a more freeform conversation um so well cool thanks again and um uh we'll uh we'll look i'll look forward to maybe catching up you with you in the future that sounds that sounds great Andy look forward to that the whole life challenge podcast is produced by our podcast team ernie hurtado becca borowski and cameron banfield you can find all our episodes as well as the links to anything we talked about during the episode plus complete show notes at wholelifechallenge.com forward slash blog you can also subscribe to this podcast on itunes or whatever app you use to listen to podcasts and if you like it please remember to give us a favorable rating in itunes and recommend it to your friends I'm Andy Petronic. Thanks for listening.